So how do we uh, explain what we're doing here? I don't know, but I feel like I need to do a, a tweet because I just earned two more badges. Earned a lot of untapped badges today. I have a lot of untapped badges today. So we're sitting here at Lone Star Taps and Caps. Yeah. In, what is this, Louisville? I think it's Louisville, technically. No, it's or Carrollton. Uh, Colony, isn't it? Colony, maybe yeah. so. Kind of outside of Frisco, north of Dallas. It, this place is a, um, I guess a growler fill, but also, I guess, fl beer flight. It's a beer place. 50, ta 50 or is that 100? I can't tell. 50 taps, I think? 50. 50 taps. So this is going to be a combo. Good Noisy day, sir. episode. Yeah, get, Hopefully it works combo out. normal, but with a lot of beer. If it works out, this will be our normal recording spot. How many beers do we have sitting here? One, two, so eight, ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, got Jay six, here eight, with us. He's got nine, ten. five or six, almost 20 beers. <laughs> so these are the, these were the two specials. Did you try these? All right, so this is a really good pale ale, Zombie Dust by Three Floyds. Did you like it, Jay? It's good. I have to play interviewer. I have to That's hand really my mic to someone, so you got to wait for the response. I mean, the hops are good, it's not, but it's not, it's not like really aggressively hopped, but it's just got all that tropical fruit. And what was this one? I asked him, but I... Ale Smith. I, I don't remember which one it was. Some kind of barrel-aged. So Ale Smith and McKellar from Denmark just announced that McKellar is going to be brewing beer in Ale Smith's old brewery. So they have a 30-barrel system. They can do like 150,000 barrels a year. And they're going to be brewing nothing but McKellar there. So that's pretty exciting. This is Jay's first time recording on the podcast, and he's, he's giving me this shrug look like, what do you want me to say? Because he was talking to you, but I didn't have the mic in front of him. So. so I may be able to check these beers in, but there's no way I'm going to be able to do reviews while we're recording. It's kind of unfortunate. I'm just here to enjoy. What, what was this one again? It's an Alesmith. I don't know which one. By the way, if anyone wants to be my friend on Untapped, I am Jeremy Ross. No spaces or anything. You can see all my check-ins on Twitter. So yeah. Just go to my Twitter account and you can find me there. It's fun. So do we have any um, topics we want to cover besides beer? Today? We'll talk about my, uh, my recent vacation, the reason we didn't record last week. Oh, yeah. Your uh, unsuccessful fishing <laughs> trip. Why was it unsuccessful? You didn't catch any fish. That's true. I came, I came up empty. You're like the worst fisherman. The problem is you didn't have, you must have not had a good, uh, like, Sherpa, like a fishing expert to, there to guide you, tell you all the good places. I, I don't know that the weather was working in our favor, to be honest. But, yeah, so I went down to Galveston, Texas, down the Gulf. It's a... And... Um, my nephew goes to school down there. He goes to Galveston A&M. He's uh, in their Maritime Academy, uh, basically studying. He's going to kill me because he listens to the podcast, and I have no idea exactly what he's studying, but he's basically studying to go on these ships, these commercial ships and liners and all that kind of stuff. So, so anyways, we went down there because he and his buddies like to go down there, and they, they fish. They have spots down there where they can go fish. And so 
we got invited to go down there and, and fish with them, basically. So we went flounder fishing. <clears throat> and so flounder, if you're unfamiliar with flounder, they, they're these flat fish that hang out kind of in the shallows. They'll kind of bury themselves in the mud, so you kind of have to look for them. And this was at night that we're fishing, so we're looking for them at night. Um, so we're in the water. I have waders on. And um, we're not using a rod and reel. We're using a gig. A what? A gig. What is a gig? <laughs> it's basically a, a sphere. It's I a mean, pole. my wife keeps telling me I need to get a better gig. I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> well, there are many types of gigs. There are single-prong gigs, multi-prong gigs. So you might oh, want to wow. clarify what kind of gig you need there. <laughs> I'm going to go for the multi-prong. <laughs> Sounds more fun. Wow. No, but, it, but essentially what you're doing is you're kind of waiting in the water. you got a flashlight on because this is night fishing. And you're trying to find, see if you can find the outline of them or actually see them. And then once you do, you basically spear them and pull them out and string them up and there you go. But to clarify, you did not actually successfully spear and pull out a fish. No. <laughs> now, Sorry. I missed a few. I got distracted and wasn't paying attention and I stepped on a few that ran off on me. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so there were fish there. You just there were died. fish and we did, our group did end up with some. We did catch about three. Of, of the adults that went, the other guys that live there and go to school there, uh, they brought back a few, but uh, I don't know, it was fun. We did that the last night that we went, Thursday night is when we actually caught those, but we did it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so we started around 10 o'clock or whatever and went out there. It was fun. Okay, so this um, Russian Imperial Stout, who is this? It's Cobra. Oh, the, it's the eyes all eyes on me. And I think it's a special edition they do for taps and caps. This is really good. The all eyes on me. 32. I went with the... Uh, try this, Jay. You had it. All right, give that a try, John. I'm actually drinking the blueberry petite sour. I can't even... What is that? Petite... Oh, yeah, the petite sour. Petite so that's sour. by Collective yeah. Brewing. They're in Fort Worth, Texas. I've had the normal petite golden sour, but I've never had the blueberry. Is that it? Yeah, I'll give it a shot. You didn't put it on your list? I thought you had it on your list. Oh, I just, actually, you know what? I have my own. <laughs> I was going to say, I thought I saw it on your list. Yeah. It's the number two. Kind of a very peachy color, huh? Yeah. I've only recently developed an appreciation for sours but now i'm starting to really like them oh, that's good there's only so much of i can handle it like i couldn't sit there and drink an entire pint but no you're not supposed to i don't think yeah Th no, this is not a cheap beer this is um the petite golden sour in in bars like a, a snifter of it goes for like nine bucks nine or ten bucks well we're doing the taster and that's four bucks it's only four and a half percent it's yeah i'm four four point one stars that's really good yeah i'm gonna give it four and a quarter so you want to talk some news you want to talk about uh, apple okay releasing swift as an open source and the hype that's building around in that that's pretty big news mainly because as with some other things apple's promised like open source or uh, opening the protocol for facetime so that you can do multi-platform multi-vendor facetime no that never happened steve jobs promised that didn't happen so when they talked early on about, you know, the possibility of open sourcing Swift, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people were very skeptical. But it happened. Um, the project's on GitHub. 
Yeah. And it's not just like a, they didn't just dump, they didn't just create a new Git uh, repository and dump the current code base into it. It's all the history, like for since like 2010, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's not just it's not just like source available. It is I think they're actually going to run it as open source. They're um, I didn't look to see if it's there yet, but they're going to create a they're not going to run like their issues and things through GitHub. They're just using GitHub as for you know source code repository. Right. But they're going to create their own site that's. Um, you know, open issue tracking. I think you'll be able to, I think, you know, you can submit pull requests. I mean, they're going to, it's going to be somewhat open source. Yeah. Um, another big aspect of that announcement was that they are supporting Linux. They have a Linux port that Swift runs on. So that, I mean, that's just aimed right at the server market. Yeah. And IBM's kind of taken mm-hmm. that as well, and they have a sandbox site that you can use to actually run Swift code. Really? I didn't know. I, I did see IBM announcement, but I wasn't sure of the details. Yeah. That's cool. It's kind of like a, uh, uh, what is it called? Um, CRUD. What's that JavaScript tool? HTML tool you can use. You can build stuff right in the browser and run it. CodePen. Oh, there's CodePen. There's, um, um, there's one I'm thinking of specifically, though. Yeah, what are the other ones? Um, but either way, it's, it's kind of like that. You, yeah. you have an editor. You can click run, and you can see the results of that, yeah. of that code execution. So. It's pretty yeah, interesting cool. that, I mean, they must have had some kind of advance notice because it wasn't but a week after Apple announced that, or put it out there as open source, that they came out with their beta site for that Swift product. Yeah. So, apparently, it's been something they've been working on, and they've been talking to people in the community about and getting it out there. There's no official Windows port of this just yet. There are some companies and projects out there that are enabling Swift-like support, um, but it's something I think they're going to wait for the community to to work on. They want to encourage the community to work on, but right now, Apple's not going to do anything with it. They want to focus on the OS side, and or the OS 10 side, iOS side, and the Linux side of things. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Microsoft kind of picked up the mantle and, and somehow ported, created a, a, a Windows port. That's possible. Um, they actually, in some of their new tooling are going to, are earlier this year in their, what do they call it, their build conference? Is it called build? Yeah, build, yeah. They did announce that they were going to add Swift support to some of their tools, mainly because you have a lot of Windows developers out there that are wanting to develop uh, iOS apps. And so they wanted to be able to, to provide that access to them. And Swift was, of course, was the chosen language for that. Okay. So I think they'll be able to expand on that or whatever they're doing on that to hopefully produce some kind of official build or... VM for it. Now, what are the thoughts on how Swift fits into, you know, the existing, you know, server, you know, non, um, you know, non-portable device type, you know, environment? I mean, we already have, you know, we've got JavaScript on the server, of course, Java, which is still huge, and, and all its languages that run on the Java platform, right. Python, Ruby, I mean, there's... There's just a lot of great options that have that are massively entrenched. I mean, Python is so entrenched in server side. You know, Java is very entrenched. I don't know. I think there's room. I think I think developers are looking for the non-traditional tools. They're they're, they're looking for the anti-pattern to server side rendering and processing and things like that. They're looking for these more dynamic languages. And not that Swift is dynamic, but I think there's just room for, for better languages, you know, the, the, where, where JavaScript kind of falls short in terms of the type system and all that kind of stuff. 
um, that's where these other languages are trying to improve on. And I think if they can, if enough of us can go out there and naturally build some real world stuff on it, it. it but if you need if you need types, there's Java, there's of course Groovy, Scala, all these things, right? But and there's Python. If you need a more kind of scripting type language that has types, but I, I think I the, the wonder what's different. I mean, I know Swift. So here's one thing, and I haven't I haven't really done much in Swift. I've done anything in Swift, um, but it is not a it's not as object oriented of a language as as like Python and Java are. Right, it's more. Is it fun? Is it considered what? What? What's the paradigm? Is it functional? That's, That's a good question. I want to say it's functional, but I'm sure it's got a lot of functional aspects since yeah. functional is kind of the the hotness right now. I don't know. I think I just think there's room for further languages. Uh, you you had introduced me to the Go language, which I don't know how I missed it, or maybe I forgot I about Go. Yeah, maybe Go. I did, but but just didn't spend enough time with it to even commit it to memory but and go is targeted really at at platform development something that right. you would have done in you know C++ or java or something right i, I mean, think that's the point i mean a lot of these technologies like java and c sharp and all those they were kind of built and designed for that client server world where you know you're doing some you were doing certain types of processing on older technologies older hardware and i think some of these newer languages are looking to leverage the hardware and some of the lessons learned of the past to build something that's a little more Maybe not so much feature rich, but faster to develop on, faster to get to market with. Um, I mean, one thing we that I've saw mentioned on numerous times on a lot of things is that these tools are great, but they come with a lot of overhead. They come with a lot of time to build, time to compile, all those kind of things. A lot of these newer languages, like Swift especially, is the, it'll compile and execute as you're typing, so you're able to kind of get that quick feedback, that quick, quick build out of your product. Is that just is that just a function of like a good IDE? I mean, what do you? No, it's not necessarily the IDE. I mean, it goes further. I mean, the IDE can only do so much. If the, if the language wasn't built to kind of support that, or the language wasn't built to kind of enable that, there's not much you can do. Yeah. Um, it's it's like Salesforce. It's like yeah, you can build all these cool tools to automate a bunch of stuff, but at the end of the day, it's still Salesforce and it's still the SOAP and REST API, and you're still dealing with Salesforce. There's only so much you can do. There's only so much Maven's Make can do to help the IDE experience before sales before it has to go to Salesforce, and you have to deal with Salesforce's error messaging system, slow compile times, slow unit testing execution. You beat me to it. I was going <laughs> to make the point that you know we've got this. this what yeah, is this? Um, is that the one I sit down? I think so. Yeah, that's Vanilla Ascension by Community Sixteen. So it's like a vanilla version of their Ascension Porter. Ascension is um, a coffee, a coffee yeah. roaster in Dallas. Yeah, you can you really get the coffee on that. Yeah, I was just wondering because I had I was like, all my slots are full. Where'd this extra beer come from? My slots runneth over. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, yeah, we've got this you know plethora of all these you know good languages with really good tool support nowadays, and then we have Salesforce with Apex. I think the problem with all these Which languages... Is Apex is so stuck. It's literally stuck in maybe like 2001. It's based off of you know Java in 2001, except, except even less. They stripped out a lot of important features out of it. And that's what we have to deal with. The language itself. And then, like you said, the, the whole context around it, the runtime, the, the performance speed. I mean, it's just... I don't know. It really, like we talked about, I mean... And, and I don't know. You talk to the Heroku guys or... I mean, a lot of there's a lot of people who are, they do everything they can to avoid actually doing on-platform stuff on Salesforce. If they can do it off-platform somehow, either keep it in the browser with JavaScript, yeah. right, or go off-platform. You know, 
and, and integrate via API or a Coroku Connect or something like that, Lightning Connect, whatever they, whatever it's called. Yeah. So, so would you say it's safe to say that our decision on languages is because there's so many of them out there, and they each solve a, or their 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 idea or their inception was kind of around very specific ideas, that our decision on using these things are starting to become more emotional. I mean, before it was you had C, you had Java, you had PHP, so you had you had all these different things to choose from, but it wasn't like it is today, where you've just got this enormous amount of things to choose from. Trying to make a decision on what database platform to use, what language to use, database what is even server worse. There, there are, there are to use. so many different choices on data stores nowadays. Do you want document key value? Do you know a streaming database? Yeah. There's, you know, there's there's got to be dozens of. So I think it's great that all these things are coming out and they're out there and available, but I think it's going to be tough. Well, you st- you've only got so many mainstream languages, though. I mean, yes, there's things like, well, heck, I guess even like F Sharp is considered mainstream nowadays. But on like on the Java platform, there's Kotlin. Um, there's but Elm you, you, on kind of the JavaScript side. You need your side. language of choice to go main, mainstream. You need it to, to thrive because otherwise it becomes a dead language that you knew once upon a time. I don't know, I don't know that it dies. I mean... The lack of support, lack of updates to it. I mean, at some point it's, it's going to just wither and die. Well, if it does, but there's plenty of languages that are, that are not in the, you know, the top 50 that are doing quite well. I mean, like, I don't know where Scala is, but it's, it's, it may be a, it's a lot smaller community than Java at whole, but it's made up by a bunch of really smart people, and it's a very well-supported language. Um, Groovy is the same way. Now, they had support for the longest time, uh, corporate support, but they lost that about six months ago, I think. But the open-source community around it is so vibrant that it's, you know, people really aren't worried about it. It's, it's, it's already really well-established. That's one thing that helps. Um, but I don't, I don't really have any fear that it's not going to live on for a really long time. I mean, you know, Java, it's still got official corporate support, but, but it's open source, and um, I mean, a lot of it happens in the open. They've got the, they've got the JCP that, you know, su- theoretically is governing, governing all that. But yeah. I don't know. Well, with Salesforce, you've only got one language to choose from. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're on platform, right. If you're and on it's, platform, yeah. It's not a good one. It's, it's not fun. It's not productive. Better hope you don't have a deadline coming up and you've got a lot of tests that have to be run every time you check in, right? <laughs> I mean, because you're just, it's going to be I'm, slow. How much it's of your commentary is colored by what you're dealing with right now? I, I don't know. Am I, am I speaking out of the ordinary here? <clears throat> no, am I, I out of character? So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes you, you sing its praises. Sometimes you give it some credit. Apex? Not Apex. I mean, maybe other aspects of Salesforce. There's really no credit to be given to Apex. It's a very sad language. It's not up to the task in really any way. So Swift open source. Think Salesforce should adopt Swift? That'd be great. (laughs) I mean, again, even... If you could run some kind of like Heroku or I, I really think Docker might be the, the closest thing that Salesforce could potentially run on platform for you. Docker's gotten very popular lately. But it's, it's on, part on, of on the, platform, I mean, in the same data center, like data calls, you know, database, it, it's all, it's all on, it's at the same location, same, you know, same data center. You know, you see, you can stay within transactions and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, well, 
the problem with that, I mean, we can ask for all these things, and even if they did end up giving it, chances are it'll be really expensive because they, they, they got to get be the fastest to 10 billion, right? And we don't have our sandboard. Yeah, I mean, just, I mean, look at again, and we haven't, we still didn't talk about Salesforce's quarterly results, but that's it, yeah, suffices to say that it's kind of more of the same. Revenue's growing, not quite as fast. They're slowly eking towards profitability, but still really behind. I mean, you know, and in fact, you we were talking about that article you found earlier. I think it was the Australian Financial Review or something like that. But yeah, now they're they're talking about how you know Mark is always bragging about you know you know fastest to 10 billion and fastest to 6 billion, all these types of things. But I mean, the reality is, is that all of his competitors that he talks about hit that, that, that revenue uh, milestone at about the same time in their life. And they did it at a much more profitable. I mean, Microsoft was making 25% net revenue. I think Oracle is like 20% net revenue, net income, sorry. Right. And you know, so they're not really doing anything that extraordinary. I mean, they're getting a pass because there's so many companies that are that are still moving to the cloud, and Salesforce is, you know, they're a, a giant beneficiary of that of that movement, and they're a giant beneficiary of the Fed's zero interest rate policy. You know, if, if either of those two things were to fade, I mean, it would it would hit hard. But that's that's what they're they're riding on that right now, because that would have not worked for any of their competitors. They're the, you know. I mean, there's, there's not that many companies that have been operating that mode. I mean, you, people talk about Amazon as, as one example, but there's, they're also, they're such a unique creature. Um, you know, they were the, this, yeah. do, this dominant, you know, pri, uh, pioneering internet seller, right? Right. And people really bought their story about, hey, we're just, we're reinvesting. We want to just grab as much market share and build this, this new type of business. Salesforce is doing something very similar. Hey, we're building this new type of business. We've got to go out and grab market share and take advantage of all these companies that are doing a, you know, this cloud, digital transformation, whatever the hell you want to call it. Those are all unicorns, right? No, Mark says he does not believe in unicorns. Stay away. <laughs> Stay away from the be unicorns? Wa- beware the unicorn. Here be unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I mean they're you know they're they're not going anywhere, but they're it's still a lot of lot of troubling aspects of their finances. Still spending seventy five percent of their revenue on selling and marketing, it's just absurd. Still spending, I think I I think I just did some rough math and it was over six hundred million dollars a year. They are um, the, of stock based expenses. It's basically like a third of their entire company's expenses they're paying with their stock. And who's buying that stock when they, when they issue it? Individuals. No. <laughs> these, these half a dozen large institutions are buying 90% of that stock. Yeah. It's just very, everything about it's very bizarre. I think they're down to like 8 or 9% of individual ownership now. It's basically over 90% institutionally owned. Mm. So there's something, there's something weird going on there. It's... You know these institutions—they're—they're—they're they're, they're keeping it propped up. They're—they're they're buying it, but the, yeah, they're, they're. Although I will say, I just—I looked at the kind of the run rate of the of the stock-based compensation. It is slowly tapering down, but really slowly, about as slowly as Salesforce is becoming profitable. Yeah, very very slowly. That's some good root beer. I didn't try that. <laughs> adult root beer? No, it's not alcoholic. It's not. I thought it was. Which what number is this? Thirty-eight. 
I've got a six. I've got a six packs of this that's been in my pantry for a year. I'll give you. Of the adult root beer? No, that. Oh, that. That's good. Nah, I think it's okay. It's nothing special. I'm not a connoisseur of root beer. I like the ingredients. It was disappointing. It's just a bunch of. I don't know. Corn syrup and whatever. Cheap ingredients. It's root beer. It's good. It's okay. It tastes like root beer. I guess just. Is it any better than A and W or anything else? I don't know. I think IBC is better than that. <laughs> I do too. Uh, any other topics? What's your favorite beer? Root beer. That Russian stout. Whose was that? That Cobra. <laughs> that Cobra. All eyes. What is it? All eyes on me. You know, I really like really the collective good. sour. That was good. Oh yeah, that was that was good. Did you like the zombie dust? No, zombie dust was really? more oh like gosh. zombie piss. Dude, that's like a 96, <laughs> 98 point pale ale. I just wanted a reason to use that joke. No, it was good. It had some. You just offended all of our beer fans. <laughs> no, it, it was good. Try the en- Stone Enjoy by no, twelve twenty five. Oh, you got that? Yeah, I have that one. We shouldn't have. We should have uh, compared notes and not overlapped. Well, the problem is that would that would mean we've been standing up there trying to choose a beer for much longer than we did. Yeah. Because then we would have been like, well, let's not let's not overlap and let's each pick uniques and it's just. Well, it's kind of loud in here. Do we want to call it a show or you have more topics? Anything else on your mind? There's always something on my mind, but we can cut it short. Any closing thoughts? Don't use Apex. Don't use Maven's Mate. Check out Solanoptis. I'm not going to say don't use Maven's Mate. I like Maven's Mate. Yeah. Oh, I found this, this interesting plug-in for uh, Adam, because that's what I use now with Maven's Mate. And uh, it's, it's really silly and something you can only enable for about a minute before you shut it off. But it's a, uh, it's a little plug-in that as you start typing your code, the, the screen shakes and you get these little kind of particles that pop out as if something's exploding every time you type. At least it inter- that would entertain you while you're waiting for your Apex class to compile, right? Your, your test to run? So it was kind of fun for a while to kind of just pound out my code and see it just kind of explode on the screen. But uh, because it jostles the screen a bit, it shakes it, it, got, it gets really annoying. If it was just the particle explosion, that would probably be a little more tolerable than the screen shaking itself. Um, so I had to shut it off, but it was kind of fun. It was a fun little experiment for the time being. This segment brought to you by John's Professional Coding Tips. And to that, I say, good day, sir. Good day, sir! It's all funny until they kill us.